Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. And as always, I'm joined by Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison for another busy, if a little downbeat, show. We'll look back at another humiliating defeat for England as they lost the Ashes in spectacular style after being bowled out for just 68 in the third test at the MCG. We'll look at where they go from here, what can be done to improve test cricket in England, as well as hearing from Joe Root, Jimmy Anderson and Johnny Bairstow. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. I mean, you've um, had had to sit through it. Uh, You did say at the end of uh, day two that England wouldn't make lunch on uh, on day three. And, um, well, they didn't even come close, really, did they? It was, um, I just suspect you didn't know how bad the worst would be. Yeah, I thought if we if we lost a, a wicket in the first sort of 15, 20 minutes, then there's no way we, we would withstand the pressure that Australia were going to put us through in first sort of 10 minutes. Root and, and Stoke shaped up OK. And then it just seemed that the roller wore off, started doing a little bit more and Stark got a one through Stokes. And the minute that happened, didn't expect 68 all out, but... I did have a funny feeling that we wouldn't we wouldn't get past the uh, the Australian total, and there's a an overriding of emotion of disappointment, embarrassment. You know, sitting on a sofa last night with Mo and Ali and Jonathan Trott, trying to p- pick a piece of what's what's just happened over the course of the last three weeks. It was really difficult because it's hard to have a. I think it's hard to have a a big go at individual players. I think this is a collective thing from the system of English cricket, Red Bull stuff, the planning department of the ECB, because I think it's been ridiculous that we've probably had a plan for the first test in Brisbane, second test in Melbourne, and second test in Adelaide, third test in Melbourne, fourth test in Sydney, and fifth test either in Perth or in Hobart. 
I just felt as though they were trying to reinvent reinvent the wheel and it's difficult enough to go to Australia to try and compete. Never mind try and second guess, make bad decisions. Um, there are players that will carry the can. You know, we dropped 10 catches, two no ball wickets, uh, players not scoring enough runs, but this has been coming for a while. This has been coming for a while. There was some optimism, optimism before we started, probably because Ben Stokes is coming back, but he's coming back in name only. We had to make sure that he got the right preparation to get himself into a, a position to perform. And, you know, with the ball, he's he's done his job because it's probably easier to get up to speed with like that. But the bat, you know, when you're coming in, when you when Joe Root's coming in at 20 for, 20 for two and you know, Ben's coming in at 30 for three, they're not going anywhere. And I think it's very, very difficult to see how, you know, some of the coaching staff and... The management staff carry on doing the job that they're doing because the selection is a problem. Who's picking a team? How's the team being picked? Because some of the stuff that's gone is baffling. Harmi, we're going to um, discuss the way that the game in England uh, domestically can be improved to to, to try and uh, and help the the, um, the test team and the test team's fortunes. But you mentioned um, the the senior staff, the, the coaching staff, the personnel. And of course, there's captain, um, Joe Root. This is what he had to say about his future as the test captain after the after the humiliation. The series isn't over yet. We've got two very big games and it's, I mean, more than anything, it's, it's be wrong to look look past that. Talk about as a, as a, as a player and as, as a team, you talk about the next hour or the next session or the very next ball and managing that to your best abilities. And, and that's all we have to focus on. That's That applies to me as well as, as captain of this team. And like I say, we've we got to make sure we, we come away from this tour with some better performances and um, and a win, a win or two under our belt as well. Well, he's not thinking about the future then, um, but uh, there are two tests to go. I just, I don't know, Harmy, whether Joe Root's captaincy is irrelevant. Um, you know, I, I mean... He, he could have been Mike Brealey on steroids. So I, I just don't think he's he's had the team. Um, and I I mean, it may well be that he's had enough and he wants to step down anyway. But that's not the issue, is it? No, it's not. Anybody that blames or labels sort of lays the blame at Joe Root's door, or the coach, the the coaching point of view of, of Chris Silverwood, then I think we're short sighted. I can blame the system. And the, the cultural element that is in place, the structure that's in place um, and the selection panel that is not in place, but the coaching system that's picking a team that is in place, then I can blame I can blame that. But I can't blame Joe. No, not where whatsoever. That, that kid last night, forlorn figure, trying to somehow say the right things. You know, he looked dejected. He looked embarrassed. There was times where he got criticised in the media and in the, in the, in, on, the, on the commentary about maybe he's making the wrong decision, letting the game drift, bringing Leach on, not having you know, possibly a plan from a field-setting point of view. But what, what can you do? What can you do when the ball's, the ball's leaking runs every... Where they're milking you and you've got a spinner that really can't control line or length. You'd be so short-sighted to to label anything at, at Joe's door. What that kid's done this year is monumental when it comes to the run scoring. 
And it hasn't affected his form either, has it? These 1,700 no. runs, second most. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if uh, if having the captaincy means he carries on batting in this form, then don't take it away from him. Yeah, that 100%, absolutely. Uh, I think where we played in Australia, it's it's a difficult place to go and play. We can play in preparation. I think we've also got to stick up for... The one thing I will stick up for, for the, the players is, man, as I wouldn't have fancied playing in this COVID bubble world for two years, to be restricted to hotel rooms, the, mentality, the, the mental, I think, torture that would have gone on in there. And it was bad enough to 6-7, 2006-7, when we got beat 5-0 off the... It felt like 6-0. We got beat 5-0 <laughs> off off the best team and uh, well, going to be the best team in the world, but geez, we could get to, we could take the kids to the park. We could take the kids to the zoo. We could go out for dinner. We could go to the cinema. We could go and play golf. You could feel a human, the caged animals and they've been caged animals for a while. And I think eventually I think you crack. And I think, I think we're seeing that. I think we've seen that. So I think the ECB now have got to be careful. We've got a Caribbean trip coming up around the corner and if there's COVID restrictions in that, I'd be tempted not to take any of these players that have gone to that have been in, in the Ashes squad just to give them a break. Not for not for performance, not because they've got beat or they will get beat 5-0. I'd be tempted to give them all a break because we've got to remember they're human beings. They the internationals and they get paid well, but financial reward in this situation is not something we should be even contemplating seeing. They are human beings and have been locked away for so long now to let out to perform, go back into these bubbles to entertain for TV crowds and financial purposes of keeping uh, TV deals, broadcasting deals right. I just think sometimes there's a tipping point. And I think England have, that is a small part of the tipping point of what's happened to this team and now why they're 3-0 down. Well, not surprisingly, Pat Cummins uh, admitted that he couldn't remember a series that had gone so perfectly for Australia. Yeah, everything's on the plan. It feels, you know, I think our, our bowlers have been fantastic in that, you know, I haven't even felt like there's been one session where it's really got away from us. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's what, you know, dreams are made of, uh, the way we've played. Um, and I think outside of the actual results, there's so many other positives as well. We've been able to have a couple of debutants really build a squad of, you know, strong, you know, 15-odd players. It doesn't just feel like a 3 nil victory. It feels like we're really setting ourselves up for the next few years as well. Yeah, that's uh, Pat Cummins. It does certainly bode well for the future. Just finally, um, before we, we speak about the re uh, possible restructure and uh, with Lawrence Booth, who's joining us uh, later on in the show, Harmi, mental fortitude is something that Paul Farbrace spoke about in a very good interview he did with uh, Rob Johnson on crickbuzz.com. Um, and he, he, he really cast significant doubt on the, the, yeah, the mental strength of, of England's batsmen playing in test cricket. Um, you know, he said that they blamed pitches in county cricket. Um, they, you know, too many, said, oh, it's a result wicked and were quite satisfied to make a quick 30 and, and not apply themselves. And he's, he, you know, he made it sound like it was, uh, it was prevalent, the majority of batsmen in county cricket. Yeah, and that's what probably needs a, the, the reset button pressed and giving, giving people a chance to bat for six hours 
not having 60 mile an hour bowlers go up and get Manus Labashin and Travis Head out in county cricket, which they did this year. Head and Labashin averaged, what, under 20. You know, Darren Stevens, 45-year-old, knocks over Manus Labashin, the ICC best player in the world. And then when you looked at the LBW he got him with, you made him look a bit foolish about three or four balls before because he kept nipping it past his outside edge. Things like that, surfaces like that, are just no good. And I'm, I'm looking at myself here, and I will come on to it with Lawrence, but... An, an 18-year-old Steve Harmison would not play in county cricket. Wouldn't play because captains and coaches wouldn't wouldn't take the risk of him going bowling 10 overs for 50 because that that's that's far too much. You lose the game. I think where this where this we asking where this group's at when it comes to sort of mental side or where we are English cricket when it comes to red ball and the sort of in defeats and how embarrassing it's been. I actually think when England came back from the World Cup in two, 2015 embarrassed, tails between our legs, telling everybody in the world that we've got to change the system of our game to play on better pitches, to play and, and, and hit the ball out the ground, to beck the best team possible to go to 2019 World Cup with a chance of winning in England, which we did. I think this team is probably twice as far away than what that team was when we came back from, when Owen Morgan's team came back from the 2015 World Cup. I don't think it can be fixed as quick as what the white ball game was fixed because I think there's a lot more than other than cricket to come into it. I think there's other people, commercial sides, broadcasting sides, have got, will get in the way. And that worries me a little bit of where the domestic game could go and the knock-on effect and how we make our game better. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 in the Neil Manthorpe and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison as we continue to dissect England's humiliating Ashes defeat in Australia. Next up, we'll look at how we can improve English cricket with the Daily Mail's Lawrence Booth. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and my usual co-host, the great Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Lawrence, um, thank you very much indeed for your time from uh, Melbourne. There's a there's a level of bleakness to uh, to the feeling at the moment of what's happened, um, 68 all out, that I would imagine there's, uh, you're almost facing a choice between laughing and crying, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, we, we've entered the gallo-humours phase of the tour probably sooner than we we thought we might. Um, this is my my fifth tour of Australia as a journalist, and uh, three of the previous four have been disasters. There was the the blip in 2010-11, the glorious blip when Andrew Strauss led England to three innings victories, and they, the Australian cricket was the, the the game in crisis then. But we're back to a familiar tale here, really, of dissecting the English game, wondering how they can improve, why it always goes so wrong in Australia. It, it has been a case of having to to laugh rather than cry, to be honest. And sixty-eight all out was really the, the 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 biscuit. I'm afraid to say. You mentioned sixty-eight all out. I couldn't believe the capitulation of the last sort of forty-five minutes of the Test match at Melbourne. Is it as simple as saying we're not good enough, or have we got the management side got questions to answer on not only the preparation? But what's gone on in the last 18 months leading to what's happened over the last three weeks? Yeah, I, I think 
first of all, there is a gap between the England and Australian teams, especially in Australian conditions. The Australian mm. attack out here is is world class, and they're slotting guys into that sort of third seamers role with Joss Hazelwood being injured, who are doing well. Jai Richardson comes in, gets five for Adelaide. Scott Boland, <laughs> six for seven um, this morning. Utterly, utterly ridiculous, really. Um, but the, the second point you raise is, is probably the more significant one. Um, England have put all their eggs in the Ashes basket for the last 18 months. They've, they've talked a good game on rest and rotation, which I understand. Um, you mentioned the COVID bubbles earlier it's 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 hard work mentally for the players and they've decided to look after the players we asked Chris Silverwood about this and he said I judge it by the human being standing in front of me and that is a totally commendable position to take you know that, that they are human beings that we're talking about on the other hand the cricketing fallout from that has been that players have been left out at the wrong times the test team's been able to gain no momentum really you know look at Moeen Ali in India for instance played one test then went home, Joss Butler sitting out a big chunk of that tour, facing New Zealand uh, in England with with half a second 11, you know, James Bracey keeping wicket, scoring two noughts in his first two innings. You could pick any number of incidents in, in the year where, where they, they basically sacrificed the test team on the altar of the ashes. And here we are now in Australia and the planning has come to nothing. I mean, it, it's, it, it makes you weep for what's happened in the last 18 months. And of course, there is the, 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 the overarching question of the, the white ball obsession in England that I know you've touched upon as well. This is not a test team that has been set up to succeed. And I feel sorry for Joe Root. I mean, I don't happen to think he's a particularly good captain tactically. Um, so it's a combination of all those things. And Australia are cashing in. Why shouldn't they? Lawrence, um, I like the analogy of you said that England have put all their eggs in the ashes basket. But... You need to treat eggs with care. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it just seems to me that, that the ECB have been far more driven by commercial imperative. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the brief has been to make as much money as possible um, at the expense of almost everything else. I mean, putting the eggs in the ashes basket is really only a metaphor because they haven't done that. They've marginalised the first-class game. And there's also an issue about coaching at the highest level I mean I'm talking about county level and and because too many England batsmen have got faulty techniques and you know and it was Paul Firebrace said a couple of days ago that technique has been coached less and less um there's more it's more sort of new age coaching allow players to make discoveries for themselves work it out for themselves and it just seems that they can get away with it maybe at county level but not at the highest level yeah, those are all fair points. Um, I mean, look, England did have a plan for Australia a few months ago, and that was to hit them with pace. Um, Joffre Archer, Mark Wood, Ollie Stone. And Wood's been one of their best bowlers out here. I mean, his figures don't reflect how well he's bowled. He's been outstanding. Archer got injured. Stone was it's probably always a bit optimistic to think that he would somehow win them the Ashes. He's only played two tests and always gets injured. But, but nevertheless, there was a plan. And that was that's what I'm talking about, about the, the, the eggs in the Ashes basket. And that... that that fell away. And, and then we're left with a situation where the players they have, they do have to call on, have, do, have not had the, the red ball games under their belt because precisely the, 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 what you're talking about there, the, the, the money-making obsession, the hundred, which has taken over a huge chunk of the, you know, the, the summer months, red ball crickets now played, you know, you've heard this often enough, but in, in April and May, and then in September, when the pitches are the most helpful to, to 70 mile an hour seamers, 
batsmen can't work on their techniques. They they give it away for 40 and think they've they've done well. And yeah, the coaching issue is is a fascinating one, actually. And and, and I read that piece that Paul Farbrace, the interview he did with Rob Johnson on Crick Buzz. I thought I thought it was very insightful, essentially saying that coaches are scared of telling the this millennial generation of batsmen what they should and shouldn't do, that encouraging them to play their own game. But the the the, the array of techniques we've seen out here in Australia, it's been a, it's been a circus act, really. The, the, the Australian uh, broadcasters and media have delighted in dissecting the likes of Rory Burns, for example, in the first two tests. The, the very first ball of the series said everything, didn't it? It was a leg stump half volley that any self-respecting opening batsman would have flipped for four. And he sticks his front foot outside the line of off stump, gets into a terrible tangle uh, and is bowled behind his legs. That was a humiliating start and should have sent alarm bells through ECB towers. A few of us were, the day before the, the third test at Melbourne, we went and watched the Nets and we saw the bizarre sight of Burns and Hamid being asked to bat on one leg, supposedly to improve their balance. I thought if England's opener, Hasib Hamid, is going to batting on one leg the day before a crucial Boxing Day test, we are in serious trouble. <laughs> I, th- I actually thought he was I thought he was getting ready for the Christmas party. I thought he was doing hokey-cokey when I seen that on the TV. So, and, uh, and as a bowler, you just start laughing. And the simple fact is, where does it... It's not so much where does it go now. It's how does it go now? Because I think a lot of us ex-players will say where it goes, you know, where it's gone wrong and what needs to improve. But how can it improve because of the likes of the commercial driven white ball element of our sport, which we need because we need to generate money to keep facilities in tip top condition. We need to make sure grassroots is producing these young players. There seems to be the the middle bit that that we struggle in the middle bit is the fundamental bit, which is the grounding of county cricketers, which is the understanding of the game as played over four days to get yourself ready to play for five days. And the art of batting, of being able to bat for six hours, seems to have disappeared from the modern gear game. Well, I'll tell you what, so there are two types of future. There's short-term and long-term. Let's take the long-term first. Look, they've got to recalibrate the county setup so that Red Bull four-day cricket is taken seriously again and played on a variety of pitches spread across the summer so that everyone comes into the game. I mean, in Australia, famously, you you tend to need fast bowlers and leg spinners to do to do well. Mm. Uh, and in English cricket, it's been generally quite bad at producing both. I mean, they left Matt Parkinson behind the Lancashire leg spinner. who could beat both, both edges of the bat. Now, why not give it a go? I mean, they, they clearly don't trust Jack Leach. Um, but they, and they brought him on just after lunch on the second day and he bowled outside leg stump to a terrible field. I mean, it, it, was, it, it was embarrassing. It said a lot about the state of English spin bowling. So they've got to take... Red Bull cricket seriously again. How they do that now that the hundred has come in as well as T20, I do not know because so many reputations, so much broadcasting money has been predicated on the success of the hundred, and I don't see that changing over the next few years. If that doesn't, okay, let's go. Let's go short term. Um, I heard what Army said about changing the coach and the captain won't work, but I, I think they've got a problem in that dressing room. That is that Root and Silverwood are too similar. Mm. I like them both. I think they're nice guys. Um, but it takes a lot to rile them. And that was why the story after the Adelaide test where they were made to watch video, the batsmen made to watch videos of their dismissal and there's a bit of shouting. That's why it made such headlines because they never shout. What they need is someone, I think a, a, a technician who's willing to tell them where they've gone wrong. Now I look at, look at the other dressing room in Australia where Justin Langer has got a lot of stick for 
his approach to, to, to man management. But I wonder if a guy like Langer is exactly what England need right now. Someone who's not going to mollycoddle them and say, don't worry, even say every after every test match, we'll put it right in the next three games or next two games or next one game, and they never do. They need someone to tell them now what they've done wrong and someone who the, the, the guys respect. I, I think they like Silverwood. How much do they respect him? I don't know the answer to that. What I do know is that Rude and Silverwood together aren't working. The one thing I'll say on that, though, Lawrence, and probably the coaches that have been successful in English cricket are outsiders, and they've told the ECB, no, we're not doing it that way. We're doing it this way because it's my job. I'm the coach. I'm going to tell you how I'm going to run this ship, not ECB yes-men. And I think we have got a lot of ECB yes-men. When you look at, I'm even hearing stories that coaches have to apply, apply to be a coach on a touring party. That's mind-boggling. And if I'm a player in that team and I'm watching a coach come through the door who I've not, who I know, but I've not had any dealings with before, come into the group, he's trying to justify his job. The whole thing is just a mess. And when I look at someone like Duncan, who I didn't really get on with, you look at someone like Trevor Bayless, again, had a relaxed mentality, but the ECB were frightened of him because he had a track record of winning. And Andy Flower, who was probably in between a yes, an ECB yes man, but had so much kudos as a, a player and a leader that the ECB basically let him do what he did. Now we've got a lovely fella. I love him a bit, Chris Silverwood. He's a top, he's a really, really good man. But sometimes you don't need good men in coaching positions at the very top. You need somebody that's going to tell people what, not just what they think of them, but you tell the administrators what's actually happening, not what we think should happen. This is happening. And I think that's where we get lost. And the biggest example I've got, why is the white ball team so successful? Because Owen Morgan runs that ship. Owen Morgan tells them what they're doing. And Owen Morgan gets what he wants because he's built up the kudos to say, I've got the track record and background and knowledge and got trophies in the back to say this is what's happening, not what I think should happen. Yeah, I mean, I think the point about an outsider is, is a really good one. Um, I'll take you back two years when Chris Silverwood got the job and the guy who thought he was going to get the job was Gary Kirsten. Gary came over for interview, more or less thinking it was a done deal, but didn't impress them at the interview because his basic attitude was, look, I don't know these guys yet but once I do get to know them I'll, I'll work with them. Silverwood did a good PowerPoint presentation, ticked all the right ECB boxes and, and walked into the role but which of those two is going to solve England's top order Red Bull problems? I mean it's, it's an absolute no-brainer. I mean English cricket has always needed outsiders, always, <laughs> because it's too cosy, it's too conservative. It's why Flower did well, it's why Fletcher did well, even Morgan who comes from Dublin is, is actually an outsider. Um, Trevor Bayliss who won a World Cup it needs English cricket has always needed someone to shake it up against its better instincts. Um, and I, I suspect Kirsten, in his own quiet way, would have done that more effectively than Silverwood has done. Lawrence Booth, thank you so much for your time. You must head off into Melbourne now and find yourself a consolation glass of wine or three. That's very much the plan. <laughs> thank you. Lawrence Booth, there from uh, the Daily Mail, and of course, the editor of the Wisdom Almanac. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Amazon. England have been beaten by Australia. Australia have won the third test match by an innings and 14 runs and in doing so have won the Ashes. They have retained the urn and they have done so comprehensively. Bowling England out for their lowest score of the series so far. Australia have wrapped up victory at the MCG early on day three. They have embarrassed the old enemy once again bowling them out for 68 to win by an innings of 14 runs and take the ashes. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Steve Harmison as we continue to look back at England's humiliating defeat to Australia in the third ashes test as the hosts retained the urn at the MCG. Well, it's interesting, Joe... <laughs> Well, it wouldn't have been the easiest uh, um, post-match press conference that uh, Joe Root did. This is what he had to say about uh, the squad. Uh, he said that he believes that it, that England have their best 18 Red Bull players in Australia. The best 18 players from the county game are definitely on this tour. And, um, you know, there's some very talented players within this squad. And we, we have to just keep looking to find um, ways of, of upskilling ourselves and each other. and managing pressure points within the game better. And I think that's a big part of this game. It's a big part that, unfortunately, sometimes and where the game's at in our country right now, the only place you can really learn that is in the hardest environment for what is quite a young, a young batting group. Um, they're having to learn out here in, the, like I say, the, the harshest environments. 
maybe you look back at 2015 and the reset that, that happened in white ball cricket, maybe that's something that needs to be had in, in our red ball game as well. But again, like I said, I think that is a, a long conversation that should probably have with you guys at, at, at another time. It's quite possible that they do have the, the best 18 red ball players, although I think it, it may well have uh, taken us over 30 test matches to uh, come to the conclusion that Josh Butler uh, is a white ball player. No, nonetheless, he does hint there, Harmy, that, that test cricket needs a reset in England. He, you know, he, he wasn't specific. He might not have specific thoughts, but there was at least a recognition and an admission that they're going to have to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, and the drone board is the basics. And what the, what's the basics? The fundamental basics of test match cricket is in England, you can probably get away with having a first inning score of between 350 and 400. Since February, England have won once. In 21 innings, they've scored 300 four times, but two of them have been 302 and 303. So effectively, they've scored over 305 twice in 21 innings. That's not giving you a chance to, to to sort of to do anything. England have largely been pulled out of the mire by their bowling attack and by their captain. I think the third lean, fourth lean run scorer in 2021 is extras for England, which is scary. You know, the way the captains performed, 600s with only 100 from everybody else, just tells the whole story. And when Joe says it, it needs to, it needs a rethink. I think it does. And you keep banging on about county cricket and banging on about the, the, the best players. If England went down the road of, if not taking any of the Asher squad to the West Indies and they basically said, right, we're going to give everybody a break because it's, it's been a horrendous winter physically and mentally, then we're going to throw everybody into county cricket at the start. 18 players that have gone on the Ashes trip, I think by end of May, will be the best 18 players in county cricket. These are good players. You know, they are players who have done it in county cricket. And that, for me, is the problem because the technical side of some of our, our work and we can go on about the plan and preparation, the coaching and how people are being coached and what information is going in, how they're being challenged. Go back to working with Duncan and working with Peter Moores because I'm only talking about experiences the challenges they would set, the questions they would ask you, you know, Jeff Cook at Durham. I'm even, I'm still frightened of Jeff Cook. I played golf with Jeff Cook at the end of September. Hadn't seen him for three months and he walked through the door and I nearly stood to attention. And I'm 43 <laughs> year old. I'm still scared of Jeff Cook. And I've had him since I was 15, 16. I'm still scared of him. Even though I didn't get on with him. Duncan, Duncan had that fear over you as well. I don't think that's the case when it comes to this management team. I think the players are more powerful than the coaching system that's there. They dictate to what's happening a little bit. I think that needs a little bit of a reset as well. And look, look, we can go around in circles talking about what's just happened. I think the most important thing from now on, the ECB, whatever big wigs, when the first meet in early January, that is the time to start and reset the red ball game in this country, to balance it with the white ball game. You know, let's just, I want to make a comment, but first of all, let's hear what uh, the, what Johnny Bairstow said after the MCB, MCG debacle. We've got to get a bit um, stronger and tougher with our dismissals. Um, we know that we've spoken about that 
um, and uh, and that that's just being honest uh, with ourselves. So um, so look, we we need to keep uh, keep doing that. We saw in that second innings at uh, Adelaide that we batted for a period of time and uh, and put a lot on each of our wickets. It's Johnny Bairstow, um saying that uh, the England batsmen need to put more value on their wickets. Um, they need to stop playing inappropriate shots. That's what they need to do. Um, I think, Harmi, that for many, many years, ever since um, one-day cricket was invented and T20 cricket was invented, there was a belief that you needed to play lots of it to get into that format and that you needed to play lots of first-class cricket, red ball cricket, to get out of that format. It was all very much like Pavlov's dog, you know? You ring a bell and the dog gets a biscuit. You ring a dog... And I think that we've moved away from that because, strangely enough, on the first day of the, of the first test between South Africa and India, KL Rahul, one of the world's most destructive T20 batsmen, with a strike rate in T20 internationals of 140-plus, made a, a test 100, opening the batting from 218 balls. He played with ferocious, relentless discipline. He didn't play a single loose shot. So it's a question, and I'm sounding a bit frustrated, but it's a question that I, I'm asking you. Is it simply a, a matter of mind over matter? I think the days are gone. You, you're not going to get three four-day warm-up games no way covid's seen to that now the days of warm-up games are over administrators won't schedule them anymore because they've seen that they're they're not necessary when they can squeeze in more revenue generating games rather than revenue losing games and it just seems to me you know what you, you need to say johnny joss ben if you can't change mode in your mind then then you're not going to play you're not you're not, not multi-format yeah, and that's a valid point. You know, I watch Kill Raul's innings. I watch highlights of the Kill Raul's innings because I was asleep. I was shaking my head. It nearly came off. Yeah, my head was shaking nearly as much as Warnies was shaking on that first morning at Edgebaston when Ricky decided that he was going to bowl first <laughs> on a flat wicket without McGrath. And I was just, I couldn't believe it. And it was like, you know, this guy, you're right, most destructive batsman, but he valued his wicket. He had a game plan. He had a mechanism. Going to Australia is difficult. Don't get me wrong, ball bouncing. They leave balls that we've been playing. And I just look at, you come back to the system. You know, you've got to learn how to bat for six hours. You've got to learn how to have value on your wicket and the discipline, like you mentioned with Keir Raul. One example that I keep going back to, a very, very young Ian Bell made his debut in 2004. You know, he, was, he, had a, he didn't have the greatest Ashes first series in 2005. He played in a very, very good side that managed to win the series. And that was his first win of a five, five Ashes winning cycle. Ian Bell was what, I think he was about 21, 20, 20, 20 21, when he made his debut. He had played 100 first-class matches before his debut. 100 first-class matches before his debut. He learned the art of batting. He had a defence. His ability to score first-class hundreds was there because he was getting three and four a year. I joked last night on the couch watching on BT, we'd sit on media day every year, March 30th, and you'd all talk, who's going to get fastest to, fastest to a thousand? Is it going to be Steve? Is it going to be Steve James? Is it going to be Graham Hick, Mark Rampakash? Is it going to be all these guys that's going to do it? You know, and then it got on to the likes of Rob Key, who got 2,000 runs, nearly 2,000 runs in a calendar year. Man, as me and you did a 
a whole summer on this collective and county cricket. We pushed these kids and wanted them to do well. I think three players in the county system this year got 1,000 runs. And I think one of them, you know, and that was, and you're like, you would have three players before June the 1st get 1,000 runs in bygone days. So that's why I think the techniques aren't there because they're not, they're not having to bat for such a long period of time. And that is, that, that is another, another thing that's wrong with, with the, the game and the mentality of these young players. Finally, Harmi, just before we, we wrap up, um, we're going to hear from Jimmy Anderson in, in part four, um, the England's highlight at age 39. But I just want to ask you just um, briefly, Ollie Pope and Zach Crawley seem to have gone backwards. Am I, am I wrong? Yeah, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And I think England are, they seem to be sort of caught between a rock and a hard place on what to do with Crawley and with um, Pope. The right thing was to leave Pope out for his own good. You know, he wasn't scoring any runs. He looked a bit fidgety. Do you chuck them all in, sink or swim time? You give young Yates a go at the top of the order with Crawley. Milan's there at three, Root there at four. I'm, and I'm saying this because I said earlier that I'd leave, I'd potentially let them all have a break. But if you were looking at a side going forward, do you get more cricket into Ben Stokes? Yeah, you know, just play the, the red ball. F- you know, he's only going to play the red ball leg. You'll get better. You know, what do you do with Bairstow? Has Butler played his last game for England? All these questions, Wokes played his last game for England. All these questions need, need answering. But I don't think it's just Pope and Crawley. They're young. It's a stat during the week. I can't remember who it was from. The stat during the week was alarming. Since in the last six years, batsmen have made their debut. Folks at 30, 31, I think. Milan at 30. And there was somebody else at 30. Everybody else, 29 and below. That is just that is just mind-boggling. That we can't find batsmen in the last six years to average 40. Not just, you know, just one. One batsman to average 40 to help Joe Root, to help Ben Stokes do both bat and ball. That's where that's where England's, that's where the techniques and everything are falling down. There's a whole bunch of numbers and statistics that uh, are, are damning. 26 batters have made debuts since Joe's debut in 2012, and not one of them um, has, uh, has averaged close to 40. Uh, but right, um, time for a break. In part four, we'll uh, conclude our dissection of uh, the MCG test match with um, the one bright point to come out of it and then we'll uh, discuss what's happening in the cricket world around the rest of the world. The environment that they're coming from is not readying them well enough for test cricket and it's a very difficult place to with with everything that surrounds test matches and different conditions and environments if you're not ready going into it, it makes it very difficult to to improve in that environment. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and uh, my regular co-host, Steve Harmison. Well, there was uh, an interesting moment after the MCG Test match when Chris Silverwood suggested that there were some positives that could be taken out of uh, the result. I'm not sure what they were, other than... Jimmy Anderson, who was asked rather mischievously by an Australian journalist how he felt doing what he had just done, bowling so well, um, only for the batsman to, um, to to let him and the other bowlers down so badly. To be honest, I think it's d- dangerous to go into uh, start, you know, talking about 
as a, certainly as a bowler talking about our batting and stuff like that. We're we're a team here. We're, we're all work, we're working really hard to try and put in some you know much better performances. We're trying to improve as a group. You know we know we haven't bowled great in the first two games. We know we could have bowled better, and we've we've gone away and worked hard. And and this week I think we've or certainly today we put in a, a much better performance. And I, you know, all I can see from from the batting group is is how hard they're working to try and put things right. And you know, it can be very difficult in sort of foreign conditions against a, a class bowling attack. It can be difficult. So um, I don't want to get into too much of a, a bowlers versus batter sort of thing. It's we're a team here, and we're all working hard to try and get better. <laughs> that was. Jimmy Anderson trying very hard not to let a rift develop between the batters and the bowlers. It's a difficult thing, isn't it, Harmy? I mean, it does happen. You know, you 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 flog your backside off, you run into the wind, um, bowling thirty overs of fast, um, and then and then the batters don't don't let you have more than a couple of sessions off. Yeah, England have I think England have fielded ten out of the last eleven Ashes deers, which is which is difficult for. And you talk about bright spark. The bright spark, the bright spark would have been Jimmy Anderson to get through this series in one piece at thirty nine year old, not lead the attack again for his nineteenth season in international cricket. Um, I think in the bowling department, there's been some bright sparks. I think. We talk about talk about selection and decision making until the cows come on. But Anderson's been, I think he's been unbelievable again. Question mark again, again, again. Can he do it away from home? Well, after his 37th birthday, he's done it in India, he's done it in Sri Lanka, and he's done it in Australia. I thought Broadball well in the uh, in the Adelaide test um, in in patches. I think Robinson has bowled well consistently for his thir- first sort of two or three spells and then naturally got tired, but he'll get better over the course of time when he plays more and more international cricket and his body, he starts looking after his body because I think, I'm not sure he looked after his body before he played his first test match, but I think the pennies dropped and he's starting to improve his durability and fitness. So, so good luck to him on that. I think he's been a fine. And I think the pace of Mark Wood has been just, it's been unbelievable. You know, to have the pace like that consistently, throughout the deer for a captain is 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 something you desperately need especially in the subcar in the southern hemisphere so i think there has been bright sparks on that side of it um but undoubtedly he's going to retire whenever he wants to retire we're going to have to look at times when we haven't got broad and anderson but at this minute in time jimmy's going nowhere if jimmy wants to play test cricket he's going nowhere because he's still He's still the best we've got. And what he did throughout this last three days um, just proves the fact that not only he is the greatest, he's a, he's a fantastic role model for any young player to say why you can do it at 39. Because the level of work, the level of discipline and the, the will to get better is what drives Jimmy Anderson forward. And in other news, there was a reminder last week that England are still very, very good at certain uh, parts of cricket, notably T20. Um, there's a white ball squad that was announced to, uh, to take on the uh, West Indies in uh, a five-match T20 series. It obviously doesn't include anybody that uh, is in Australia. It also includes Gloucestershire left-arm seamer David Payne, uh, George Garton, and a very worthy and I think deserved call up for Phil Salt. They were the names that stuck out to me. Yeah, big time. Yeah, Salt, I'm pleased he's in the squad. 
I like the look of George Garton. I want another look at him in international cricket. See a lot of him in the in the domestic franchises around the world. Um, and, and David Payne as well. I think he he deserved his call for what he did for Gloucester last year and what he's been doing for Gloucester in 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 the blast and what he did in the hundred. So it's a it's a good, well balanced squad um, led by Paul Collingwood, and that is somebody obviously somebody I know very very well. Um, who will be hurting. Paul will be hurting. I know that for a fact because he had to leave the, the, the touring party in Australia because obviously, you know, his family, daughters, you just spend time over Christmas. Um, and I think he goes over there, clear mind, scar-free from, from that Ashes trip. And I think England will, will go over there and it'll be a great contest, isn't it? I think it's going to be a great contest, England against the West Indies in 2020 cricket. Two, two formats of the game that both sides are very, very good at. A couple of other pieces of uh, news. Um, another great passed away, I'm afraid, former England captain Ray Ellingworth um, passed away, was, uh, which leaves now only two surviving captains, England captains, to have won an Ashes series down under because uh, Ray Ellingworth managed it in the, in the 1970s. I remember the, the only time I remember having a, uh, much to do with him was in 19... 19- 94 when uh, he was England manager coach and I think he drove the bus as well uh, he was selector as well he was chief selector too wasn't he he was he was supremo Ray Illingworth uh, he was dubbed in the, in the early 90s I just remember him at Lords um, sitting next to Michael Atherton and completely disowning him <laughs> he didn't look at him after the dirt in the pocket uh, dirt, dirt in the pocket affair he slapped him with a £2,000 fine and basically sat there facing the media with his captain alongside him, calling him a disgrace. <laughs> yeah, he was, he, was a, 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 he was the typical Yorkshire. He was Yorkshire, 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 wasn't he? And can you imagine in that dressing room, Yorkshire dressing room, he had to lead it with the likes of Boycott and Truman, Illingworth, the way they were, the stubborn characters they were. Uh, and we have lost a great. He was great for English cricket. Um, as a player, as a captain, and as a selector, and he, he, he in 1971 when he was selected, when he was when he was captain, he wrestled power from the selection panel to give more power to the captain, which obviously it was him, and then decided that when Michael Atherton became captain in 1993 or 1994, that he was going to wrestle the power back from the captain to give it back to the chairman of selectors because he wanted to be supremo. So. Typical Yorkshire, and it's a it's a sad sad time. And condolences to the family. A great man lost of the of the of the cricket family. Um, what other news grabbed your attention? Um, USA beating Ireland in a T Twenty international in Florida. That's uh, massive news. Um, and Harbhajan Singh hasn't played much cricket in the last couple of years, but uh, he was still um, active as a squad member, really, in the IPL. But he's. Uh, Finally walked away from the game completely. He's retired from all formats. And and finally, Ajaz Patel, who took all 10 wickets in a test match against uh, India in, in Mumbai a month ago, has not cracked the New Zealand squad for the Bangladesh <laughs> series. That's mad, isn't it? It's absolute madness. It's crazy. Um, but just shows you how ruthless the game can be sometimes. And... He did. We commentated on the game. And once he got to eight, you knew he was going to get 10. And you're thinking, right, it's New Zealand have found a spinner in test match cricket that can potentially you know, do them a good job for the next five years. 
he didn't even get the next five. He didn't even get the next five weeks. So uh, it just shows you what cutthroat business it is when you play in this. What it can be for a spinner playing in the subcontinent and then going back to a country which obviously is more conducive to seam and swing. How about USA beating Ireland in a T20 international in in America? Unreal, isn't it? It's great for the commercial game. We've talked about the commercial game a lot in this last hour um, and what obviously possibly needs to change to try and help the test match side. But for a, a strong America, wow, that would be that would be huge. Uh, a global powerhouse like India and a global powerhouse financially like America. If you could if you could get into an American sports with cricket, go around America with with this great game we all love, then I think whew, that could open doors. That could open so many doors. So, you know, well done to America. I know my mate Liam Plunkett is eyeing up potentially going over and working with the Americans, which will be great experience for them to have a World Cup winner in and around their squad. But it looks as though they've got things going in the right direction because beating Ireland in a beating Ireland in a one-day game is no mean feat because they're a decent side island. Let's not deny COVID. In fact, let's give COVID the last word. I don't know whether you've got anything to say. I, I couldn't help noticing that uh, somebody rather saltily observed that England has spent longer in quarantine in Australia than they have on the cricket field. Yeah, and there was, there was quite a few. David Gower had a, quite a few jokes out about COVID, uh, COVID yesterday. My concern is, and that we have to touch on it, is we might have played the last test match of the Ashes. It's going to be interesting to see what happens from here because if we were in Sydney, the game would have been called off day two because of the close contact seven-day quarantine rule of COVID getting into uh, the England camp. If one of the players gets it, I think if I put myself in the players' shoes and I've got my family across there, if somebody in the players' camp got it, I think my family would be going home and I think I'd be going home with them. I think there's a human element to, to sport and that is something that, it's, it's there's bigger than bigger than cricket, bigger than sport, and I think with people dying of this of this 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 disease, I think there'll be a lot of players anxious in that group, and we're hearing rumours that the players are being split up from the families. I just don't think the, the the game can carry on. So where it goes from here, I think the next forty eight hours, seventy two hours, watch the space because I think there could be some big news coming out of Australia if COVID continues to to sort of get through into the camp might have to continue playing in Melbourne might have to play the next two test matches in in Hobart but I don't think this group of Australian England players can go and play in Sydney and finally thoughts and best wishes to former India captain and current BCCI president Saurav Ganguly who had a heart attack a couple of months ago and he's now been admitted to hospital with COVID so uh, the very best wishes to him thanks Amit um, as always, uh, you've been listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast, as always, from the following on feed, which is now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, we'll be back next week to look ahead to the fourth Ashes test. But for now, we wish you all a very happy new year. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. 
With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.